Live from the Nasdaq market site in the heart of New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. Here's what's on tap tonight. So good, it's good. Stocks closing near the highs of the day, even as a much hotter than expected jobs report puts another Fed hike back in play. The traders set out to try and make sense of this madness, plus a glittering opportunity. Gold price is catching a bid after hitting seven-month lows, so can this trade get back some of its luster? Oh, we'll man. Mind the chart master for answers. And later, yet another new version of America's favorite fast money game, Traded or Faded. Today, it is Fresh or Foul edition. Are any of the bombed-out staple stocks like Coke, Hershey, Heinz worth a bite? Do they pass the smell test? Are they past their expiration date? We could keep going. Wow. We've only got wow. an hour. <laughs> I'm Melissa Lee coming to you live from Studio B at the Nasdaq on the desk tonight. Tim Seymour, Steve Grasso, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. We start off with a surprising surge in stocks today. The Dow ending the day up. 2688 points uh, that is after the blue chip index started the day down nearly a percent the s&p 500 seeing its best day since late august breaking a four-week losing streak and the nasdaq surging more than one percent and a half the strength coming despite a bigger than expected jump in payrolls for september the economy added 336,000 jobs last month almost double the street estimate that strength initially sparked fears that the fed could raise rates at the november meeting the 10-year treasury yield popping on the print while pulled back from high it's still stabilized at around 4.8%. But take a look at the groups leading today's rally. Technology, communication services, sectors that usually don't thrive in a high interest rate environment, did really well today. So why are investors flocking back into these mega cap names? And what was the reaction to the jobs report all about, Tim, in your view? Well, bad news. uh, Sorry, good news was bad news. um, And then good news was good news. Um, And if you look at the payrolls, that we've averaged 266,000 jobs over the last three months. Let's be clear. There's no weakening in the labor force. And if you hadn't included uh, the additional participation rate, we'd have an unemployment rate of 3%. And reading a lot of economists, and there, there's a lot of folks, people everywhere, probably this guy saying, you know, nobody thought the labor market was going to be this strong. And so um, is this good news? Is this bad news? It certainly means we're playing out the sequencing longer for a lot of things to unfold. Uh, There's no question that the Fed is nervous about a labor market. And I think the Fed is very much back in play for, you know, everyone thought there's no way they can raise. I think they are. That's not the topic. The topic is uh, mega cap tech stocks, which basically have closed now at their highs relative to the S&P year to date. Uh, in other words, their all-time highs were back down in the end of 21 relative to the S&P. But if you think about this run and all the weakness, we thought we'd lost market leadership. Well, semis are now up 5.9% over the last 11 sessions. Triple Qs are basically at their highs against the S&P. And this is a function of things are at least better. I also just think we were so oversold. But let's be clear. The 10-year was off. The 10-year bond was off 72 bips today. So, I mean, it was it was 0.72 of a point today, which was a very big move. And and so you have a, a dynamic here where yields may still be going higher. It means that the uh, I think markets were just oversold. Yeah, listen, at some point, though, the, the, the volatility or the velocity to the upside, you know, that we're seeing in yields and especially after we got that print on that hot data, uh, it, it's going to actually take its you know toll on. It just has to. And you can say, well, you know, yeah, we've gone from three and a half to four, you know, four, eight just in the last month and a half or something like that. And stocks are only down six, seven percent or something like that. You know, sooner or later, it's going to matter. And, and maybe it's that five percent round number if we get there on the 10 year. And if you're in the soft landing camp and to Tim's point, OK, um, you know, 
you're, you're doing okay right here. The, you know, like the, the, if you look at the technicals, right, uh, of the S&P 500, it came down to that breakout level from June 2nd or something like that, and, and, and it found some support at an uptrend. It found some support at its 200-day moving average. The sentiment got really bad. We're heading into earnings season. We had the quarter end, you know, all that sort of stuff. I get it, but like, let's just say this, okay? At some point, you know, maybe just this jobs picture is the wrong thing to be focused on because if you're looking around and if you look at through the lens of the stock market, a lot of these sectors, we talked about it when I was on earlier in the week, you know, some of these sectors are not trading particularly well, right? So it's transports. It's, you know, we don't even need to get to staples and, and some of the consumer-oriented stuff and discretionary. The list goes on and on and on. So to me, I think the market under the hood is saying something different than the rush into the stocks that did really well and dragged the market up today. So I thought you were going to go a different way when you originally started talking about rates. I thought you were going to say that the rate spike had to subside. Something had to give there. So that's, that's the camp I'm, I am in right now. So whether it's at five or a little below five. If that subsides, then the market should, in fact, rip higher, right? You would, th- you would think, because the biggest headwind, I think, to the market right now is still rates. We sort of forgot about the Fed. But if hike, is, hike happens in November, which this jobs report seems right. to indicate or point to, then how can that so, subside, So I think, really? I think that's where Tim started with, with the Fed is back in play. Mm-hmm. I think the fact that rates have spiked higher so quickly, that puts the Fed out of play. So the bond market did the it's work. Not about, it's, exactly. It's not about exactly. It's not about. It's not about. It's not about the actual rate issue anymore. It's about where we are in the rate issue. You know, it was a hotter than expected number, guy, for the month of September. But also, the prior two months were revised higher. I mean, there are a lot of things within this report that seem to indicate hot market still. And we play this game often. I know we play a lot of games, but a game in which I tell you what would happen, and you guess the direction of the stock market. If I told you what this jobs report was going to be, would you have guessed that this would have been the reaction of the stock market? No, absolutely not. The early action is what I expected when I saw the numbers. The late action, not so much. But if you watched the show last night, Tim Seymour played the role of Tom Cruise and a few good men (laughs) as he questioned Marco in an elegant way. And the question, line of question was about current positioning. And, you know, as we talk about all the time, Fundamentals matter. Sometimes positioning matters more. And I think everybody seemingly got themselves on the one side of the boat. We have talked about 4190 being the line of the sand. It didn't get there, I know. But you know, the market defended that 200-day moving average a couple times now, which is really encouraging. Of course, the problem is the Fed is in play now. I think there's now a 45% of a hike in November. And these numbers just make their job, I think, that much more difficult. And, oh, by the way, Rick Santelion earlier this week You know, he talked about a close above four and three quarters being potentially problematic. Well, you got it. And the bond markets closed on Monday. I don't know what they call that holiday anymore. I don't want to offend anybody, but it's going to be interesting to see how things shake out. It's an indigenous I am. Actually, I'm, now. Yeah, I, I, listen, I, yeah, I get it. I, that's why I said I'm not sure. By the way, I'm half Sicilian. Which would, uh, uh, but the spotlight on CPI is even greater at this point now that we have this jobs print. It is. And I, I didn't realize I asked uh, Marco, did he did he order the code red yesterday? But, um, <laughs> it, you know, it look, I, I think there are things to be looking at here. I, I also just think that the bond market, you know, Steve's bringing up an interesting point. Like, I, we don't know where it's going to settle out. I think we're in price discovery in yield territory on what, again, term premium you need to give to the bond market at a time when central banks aren't buying bonds anymore. And, and you know, there's a lot of supply. And, and it means we'll probably overshoot. And it, and it means, I think, that the, the world we had, and I, again, reading a lot of uh, the economists around the street this week where they've sorted through what happened with yields, what's gone on with the last Fed meeting, and maybe those that are now writing after today's payroll number, 
the world that we had pre-COVID in terms of an interest rate uh, paradigm is gone. And it's not just gone because the Fed has had to move higher because of the accommodation from its what was already happening. And, and therefore, I don't think we know, and I, I, I think this probably plays well to Dan's view, which is equities can't be worth this year. Um, but I think it's going to take us a while to get there. And I, I just bring us back to where we are on the calendar, where we were with positioning, um, what kind of leadership. And you, know, it, you can feel pretty good buying Apple and Microsoft well, today, even enough? though I, I, I didn't. But I, I, I understand why they were. Why isn't it enough to talk about QT at this point? The Fed seems to avoid QT, but it's to the tune of 90 95 billion, which is the equivalent of 25 basis points. So they're tightening without tightening. So Japan, China, they're not buying any more treasuries. The Fed is not going to be buying. They're selling. Institutions are not buying anymore. So why don't you think rates will go higher? Because at a certain point, you have to cover that short. And, and to Guy's point, everyone gets to the wrong side of the boat. And if now all of a sudden we're not in a rising rate environment and we're just focused on QT, then it's a different, it's a different narrative, a different environment that allows equities to lift again. I don't, we've got a wall of issuance coming out. We've got I was going to say, do you, I don't even, do, you, do you think it's short? Do you think it's shorts, though? I mean, I think it's a lack of buying. I mean, I think it's people could be both. on could hold. Be both. Could be both. But, you know, to Mel's point about the CPI, I mean, like, even with crude, the way it just came in over the last week or so, I mean, with this sort of hot jobs data, if we do have other inflationary readings that stay hot, and, you know, the stock market down 7% from its all-time highs is, is, you know, the Fed, they got a lot of room at that point. I mean, they they can get more hawkish, you know, and let's just say they do this 30% chance of a 25 basis point hike at the November meeting. Let's say that starts to inch up and we start seeing uh, cuts being pushed out in 2024. Which we and, have already. Yeah, right. And so so then they take a more hawkish stance because they're going to have to take them. They're going to have to jawbone it. And so at some point, I'm just saying, that's why I said that nice round number of 5% as we get closer to that November 1 meeting, I think the chances of further hikes start to get priced in and the stock market has to pay attention. I just think that there's no interest that the Fed would have in even giving out a sniff of dovishness at this point, yeah. right? The markets would They've earned this. They don't have to, they don't have they, to give out a sniff of nothing, it. I mean, just a little tiny bit and the markets will take off. I mean, that is not what they want here, Guy. Well, there's no, there's no reason for them to be dovish in any way, shape, or form. I mean, they're getting what they want in this environment with the rhetoric that they're currently using. So why not continue that rhetoric and continue the pace effectively until something breaks. And that's what's going to happen. And if you look quickly, I mean, not that it, I'm suggesting people should trade it, but the HYG, which we've talked about forever, which had really gone nowhere for months north of 74, actually traded down to 72. Now, people say that's not a big deal. It's not in the context of percentage, but this is an, this is an ETF that doesn't really move. And it showed signs earlier this week. So keep an eye on that. And just keep an eye on how the banks trade. I mean, again, everything bounced today. I get it. But up until today, the banks, specifically the names we talk about, and it's going to be fascinating to hear what Bank of America has to say, but BAC, Citi, Wells Fargo, and some of the small and regional banks starting to roll over have not traded particularly well. Did, didn't the regional banks break, though? You know, when, when you sit there and you say, okay, we're going to continue on this path until something breaks, you could make the case that something broke. And it was sort of wiped under. It was a it was a mini flash crash. Something broke. Something was mopped up, and we just made the bigger banks get bigger. So the whole idea of what what it actually transpired is probably what the you Fed think doesn't we've want. Seen the full damage. No, I don't think we see. There's long and variable lags, and the only, the only person that doesn't seem to know about the long and variable lags is Jay Powell. Every one of us talk about it, and we haven't seen that. And those long and variable lags are going to be coming a lot closer, a lot sooner. 
For more on what today's jobs report means for the Fed, let's bring in CNBC's Steve Leisman. Steve, it's always great to get your analysis on a day like today. Um, I don't know. We played the game with Guy before. If I told Guy or whoever here on the desk what the jobs number was going to be, they probably would not have guessed what the stock market reaction ended up being. No, and nobody guessed what the number would be either. What's True. interesting, uh, Melissa, and, and, and it's interesting about playing the game, I don't know if Guy won or lost. Maybe we can figure it out later. Well, look to be a route in the bond market turned into just another lousy day in a string of lousy days and maybe providing a little hope that a top could be near in yields. The 10-year shot up almost 14 basis points with the news of the strong jobs report. Then it rallied in the late morning before drifting higher towards the end of the day, just up eight or nine basis points on the day. That's a bad day in normal times, but not the worst that could have happened given how much yields have risen and how sensitive they've been to better economic growth. Uh, still, the reaction of bonds to the data underscore one of the three main reasons yields are going high. You've got stronger economic growth. You've got with uh, larger debt issuance by the Treasury. And, of course, that Fed hawkish next may be responsible for half of these gains here. The idea the Fed might do less, though, suggested earlier this week by two Fed officials, helps take some of the sting off the rise in yields. It also helped that wage growth remained muted and gas and oil prices have declined, lessening the inflation concern. You guys were just talking about this while the probability of a final rate hike this year edged higher. They remain below 50% for both November and December. Both of these percentages have been higher, so the market is not really going there when it comes to a Fed rate hike this year. The Fed's not going to be comfortable with job growth remaining this strong. They want the labor market to cool, but they'll be a little less concerned if it comes with falling inflation. Of course, we have those numbers this week, Melissa, and a lot of Fed speak next week. How do you think the Fed thinks about um, higher for longer in the context of sort of just the, the structural issues going on in, in the bond market with the tremendous amount of issuance um, that is yet to come into the market still and the thought that there are fewer buyers out there? So regardless of what they do, this higher for longer regime could still be out there. Yes, um First thing I think they're looking at is whether or not things are breaking. I really think your discussion on that was really important. Uh, that's the most important thing. I think they're watching the internals of the uh, uh, financial system to see if these high yields end up being a shock that creates liquidity concerns. That's in the first instance. Then I think they're going to take a step back when it comes to the uh, macro impact of these higher yields. And what they're going to think is, you know what? I could raise a quarter here, but why am I raising a quarter? The only reason I'm raising a quarter point on the short end, remember, the Fed controls just the one rate, the overnight rate the banks charge each other, is I want to affect the long end. I want to affect the real economy. I want to affect the rates that banks charge customers for loans to expand or that customers borrow at. So why would I raise a quarter if the market already raised a quarter or more for me here? And remember, if you go back, Take a look back at the 10-year chart back to mid-July. What you find is that half of this 100-point, 100-basis-point gain in yields comes from the issuance concern and better economic growth. Because what have we done? Effectively, we have raised the, uh, the, the, the outlook for the third quarter up near 5%, and I don't know how much of that's thought to carry over to the fourth quarter. So better economic growth, surprise on the debt issuance. The other half of that came or began when the Fed went and said, you know what, 
we're not taking away so much of the of the rate hikes next year. We're going to be a lot more hawkish than you guys thought. The market has been mispriced, the bond market, for stronger economic growth. It's been mispriced for a Fed that's not, it's, it's not going to ease up as much as it thought. And when the bond market got mispriced and started to reprice, the stock market was mispriced. Yeah. Steve, thank you. Great to see you. Have a great weekend. Steve Lee Smith. Pleasure. Um, in our discussion of what breaks or when will things break, you know, we think of breaking as something definitive, something that, that happens, but it could actually be just sort of a slow-moving, you know, roiling through the economy sector by sector. Boy, that's what it feels like. Look at the move we've seen in utilities. We're going to talk about staples again. But when you're talking about businesses that rely on funding and there's certain math that has to work, and a lot of that math just doesn't work in in this new paradigm. I I also don't know why we don't overshoot to the upside. I'm going to be, I I know we've had a big move. I think maybe we are exhausted. And I think in the short run, but again, this price discovery that's going on in the Treasury market is not something we've had to do in a decade. Um, And and we've been waiting for this day forever. talking about but this? Tim, think about this, all right? So the S&P was down 18% last year. It was up 12% this year, all right? And all of a sudden now, we have an alternative to buying <laughs> stocks, right? Like, so, so when you say, I don't know why we don't overshoot, and I'm not, ch- you, you, you're probably right. We're probably going back to new highs. Have at it, people. You know what I mean? But what I'm no, saying I, is... I mean, the bond yields. Okay. Well, That's well, what I'm saying. Okay. Overshoot. Well, then... So I'm not sure about that. So, so if that happens, then, then you just think about it. Like, the further we get into this, the more, uh, the lack of visibility that corporates have about funding, about inflationary inputs, about demand, you know, about all these sorts of things that to me, that just makes a worse case for stocks, you know? And so if we do... Not all stocks, though. Because so, now if you talk about the, the MAG-7, yeah. then you have those that, that already have fortress-like balance sheets who don't need to access capital, and they become even more a, a sense of safety for the overall I, I, and I agree with that, and that's why I think those things have outperformed so dramatically. I'll just say this, though. If we do go into a period where enterprise spending <laughs> slows, they're going to be vulnerable, and those are very crowded trades, and they're trading at multiples that don't make sense in this in, in interest rate environment. You know, like So to me, I just think that we can go back and forth on all of this, but right now, they continue to hold up the stock market. If you look at almost every sector, how much they are down off of their highs and where the weakness. And I got to tell you, I know we're going to talk about it, but what happened this week in Staples, what happened today in Walmart and Costco, what does guys say? Footnote this. This is something's going yeah, they're on expensive. here. I mean, I know, I mean staples Tim. are really expensive. And, and these stocks were bid up because they were safety and because it was COVID. And but they've always been expensive. The karmic so it could happen to Apple and Microsoft trading at 27 oh. times just as easily as it happened to them. That's what I'm saying. It is amazing that the Magnificent Seven in times of duress guy can hold up as defensive plays. But on a day like today, when the market rallies because good news is good news, they also rally. They're just magic. I mean, right here, they're magic, I say sarcastically. You're, you're doing that again. It's Friday, and I'm in a great mood, and you're doing that to act. But it's not going to work. That's not going to work. But I'll say this. You know, Steve, Steve's point is spot on, and I think Dan and Tim are saying the same thing. I understand why there's this uh, flight to perceived quality in the form of these names. They're not affected by interest rates themselves. Of course, the problem is their customers are. So it's a question of, at a certain point, you know, you're going to see the continued demand that it needs to have for be the valuations that they're trading at. And I would submit that interest rates moving to the magnitude that we've seen are going to have an impact on their end users. All right. Well, perfect segue to gold. <laughs> Yesterday, oh, yeah. the chart master said the precious metal was due for a bounce. Since then, the gold miners ETF has jumped more than 2% higher. So let's bring in the chart master, Carter Worth of Worth Charting, for more on where it goes from here. And you actually put out a note 
also remarking on the decline, the quick decline that we saw in oil. You think the dollar's next? Is this part of the corollary trade? I think so. I mean, if you if you set the scene, of course, it was two weeks ago and the 10 year yield was at four point three percent, exactly where it was a year ago. Does it does it not break out? It did. It went from four three to four eight, almost four nine. And what happened? We had a lot of movement. The two biggest reciprocal trades, utilities cracked 15 percent and gold dropped seven. But gold miners dropped 15. That's overdone. And so just as you're seeing rebounds, I think you play for rebounds. And we have charts. But uh, GDX, of course, is the miners. And I would play that for a rebound. And GLD. Uh, and you can see it here uh, on the screen. I mean, the, the decline in the miners. And, and Steve, you often talk about that. The leverage in an operating company is always greater than the commodity itself. So the two biggest plunges in the entire equity complex, utilities and gold miners. And those are the two that got some of the bigger bounces off of the low. So I think there's more to come. So, but... Part of this call is also that rates are mm-hmm. going to come down, and that's what you see for, for the 10-year yield. Right. So there's this, this, I mean, there are relationships that are inverse and they're direct, right? And, and we talk about that often, uh, all of us, we've talked about it on the desk. And it's not always quite as perfect as one would think, because if it was always inverse, then when the dollar uh, was surging, oil should have been collapsing. But that's not what happened. And sometimes uh, over the past year, we've had a great dollar strength and a great uh, move in the equity market. There is somehow uh, this belief that you cannot have a weak dollar, lower rates and lower stocks. But of course, you can. And so I think ultimately, rates come in. And I think today's spike and reversal and the reversal and other things is basically the market starting to feel like this is we're getting to a peak. So, so you sort of just answered it. But if you have the 10 year, you have the dollar and you have oil, which have been the headwinds toward the market. Just talk about the S&P. If you seen those as headwinds and now those start to dissipate, do, are you going to have where you just left off? Where do you see the S&P going with well, that so I, Actually, that's it. I, no one wants to think that you can also have a lower equity yeah. market, but I, I think you can. We shall see. So the Max 7, we were pointing them out. Oh, yes. And you're sort of chuckling as well. We've had that before. It's called .com or it's called Nifty 50, Polaroid, Eastman Kodak, Xerox. They're always great uh, winners. (laughs) Um, But here's the thing about them. Let's talk about that. If you go back the last 50 years, uh, the concentration in the market, we always have it. The top uh, five stocks are typically, top 10 stocks, 20%. Right now it's 30. That's the problem. They're still just too big. Can you make the case so that ETFs have yes. changed it, that the weighting will have to be different because of the role ETFs play now? Well, one of the things we know, I mean, I, I speak to a lot of clients who have been perpetually underweight Apple because the thing at 7% of their benchmark, by mandate, they can never be more than 4 or 5 So they're constantly stuck playing chess against something that they can never properly weight because their mandate doesn't allow it. We have a lot of things like that that make it curious. Carter, thank you. Sure. Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting. Coming up, big oil buyout. Exxon eyeing its biggest takeover since buying mobile nearly 24 years ago. The mega deal details and what it means for the energy space next. And speaking of deals, Disney could be in talks to sell its Indian streaming business. So which billionaire investor could make Disney let it go? Don't go anywhere. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Pioneer Natural Resources topping the tape today up more than 10 percent. ExxonMobil is nearing a deal to acquire the shale driller, according to CNBC's David Faber. The deal could be announced as early as Monday and would be Exxon's biggest purchase since buying mobile back in uh, 1999. It would also theoretically be the biggest deal globally in 2023. Um, Guy, you think this happens? Do you think it makes sense? It makes sense to me. And think about Exxon doing it. So it's a $60 billion deal, right? So effectively what they're telling you is 
guess what? The energy industry isn't going anywhere anytime soon, and we still need to be active. And as Tim has mentioned, you know, the hundreds of times, the balance sheets of these companies were forced to be better, and now they are. So they can do acquisitions like this. And there's a reason why Warren Buffett is, owns 23% of Occidental Petroleum, because he sees the same thing. So I understand it's been a rough week for the commodity. I get it. The stocks have sold off, uh, probably undeservedly so, but maybe there was a positioning thing. But energy is still in play here, Mel, and I think this just proves it. I get the deal for Exxon, um, although, I mean, Exxon supposedly is not chasing uh, upstream and resources. PXD has some of the best pure oil assets in the group. And I think at a time when a lot of this is scarce, and I'm not talking about shale and Permian and Eagle, uh, I'm talking about, you know, core resources that, that are worth more. And therefore, I don't know why they do the deal at this price. Where's the premium here? I don't really get it. They just announced numbers that were really strong. Um, this stock was trading at the level, at least, that's being rumored to be, at least, and this is the, the, the number that the journal had, I think, was 236 a share. It was trading there two weeks ago, three weeks ago. So uh, I'm just kind of surprised that the deal gets done at this price. Who else could be a buyer? Uh, you know, you could look at a Royal Dutch. You could look at one of the big other global integrateds. Um, whether this gets into also some of the geopolitics of oil, would it, could it be a foreign multinational? Yeah, I, don't know. Uh, I don't know if it yeah. could. Uh, but, but again, Exxon chasing upstream and chasing assets is something that we kind of thought was not part of this new regime. And I think it's probably a little disappointing to hear about the big boys trying to do this when, in fact, the theory and the thesis for investing in oil companies has been these companies are leaner, they're less asset heavy, they're paying back more cash, they're paying down balance sheets. So I don't love this deal for the sector. Exactly, I don't love it for That's PXD. exactly the reason what I thought about it is if things are so good, why do they need to do this deal? Can it get regulatory approval? Does it mean that ExxonMobil can't get regulatory approval to do stuff in-house right now so they'd rather buy the assets because they can't get anything out in deep water anymore? So if you look at any chart in the space, the charts are terrible. All of them are terrible. There's a lot more Fast Money to come. Here's what's coming up next. The Disney down low. The media giant reportedly looking to offload some assets. But does this mean the stock should be part of your world? The details next. Plus, the traders are going south of the border and checking in on the Mexican market. Why stocks there are getting hit and what can be done about it. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money Stocks, pulling off a big reversal in today's session. The Dow jumping nearly 300 points, the S&P up more than a percent, and the Nasdaq leading the move higher, climbing more than a percent and a half. And check on the market newcomer here, Instacart, down another 3% today. The stock now down 40% from its intraday highs, hit on its IPO day less than three weeks ago. And shares of GM higher after the UAW announced it will not expand the auto strike to any new plans this week. UAW President Sean Fain saying General Motors agreed to include battery cell workers under the company's national agreement. Meantime, Mexico back in the headlines today as Secretary of State Blinken and other top Biden administration officials meet with members of the Mexican government to tackle the border and immigration problem, along with the crisis around fentanyl. These meetings come one day after Mexico's president imposed a massive tariff change at the country's airports, which rocked stocks there. It's been a messy month for shares of the main Mexico ETF, the EWW, down over 8%. But our next guest says there's still great opportunity south of the border. Joining us now, 
CNBC's former longtime chief international correspondent, now a contributor, Michelle Caruso Cabrera. Michelle, great to see you. Good to see you. Hello. Um, nice so theoretically, you. it should. It, Mexico has everything going for it. Nearshoring, you know, there are a lot of factories there. But yet, these sort of capricious moves scare business people. Erratic and interventionist. Right. And you're right. I mean, the nearshoring trend should be great for Mexico. Everything post-COVID should be good for Mexico. They've got lots of free trade agreements, the USMCA, proximity to the United States, cheap labor, and also belief between the two countries that we need to secure the supply chain. And every time AMLO, the president, does something like this, um, it, it just rocks confidence terribly and causes incredible volatility. This isn't the first time. Back in May, he seized 120 kilometers of rail line because he wanted it, you know, and he took it from a publicly traded company. They're supposedly going to get compensated. But these are things when you can't predict them, it really leads to your question about just how much uh, rule of law is there in Mexico. Why is this? Is it is it the elections which is coming up? I mean, he's already got he's very, very popular. Right? He's got extremely 60%, popular. So it's mm-hmm. not like he's going to lose. He, so he can only run for one term. So uh-huh. the next election is between two women. Uh, one who is very similar to him in his policies, and then a more conservative woman. So the next president of Mexico is going to be a woman, uh, which is uh, going to be historic. And the conservatives really come out of the gate and has actually gotten all of the other opposition parties behind her, which is a formerly leftist party and the formerly right-wing party are both backing her against the AMLO candidate. So it's one of the reasons the uncertainty about the election is one of the reasons why the central bank has kept interest rates so high at above 11 percent due to the uncertainty there, uh, which is one of the reasons why the currency has remained so strong. MCC, great having you here and great talking about emerging markets and whatnot. When I think about Mexico, I also think about a currency that at times has been extremely volatile, sometimes for the the geopolitics and, and really headlines and much more over substance. Any thoughts? You're not a currency analyst, but you, you understand the dynamics with the current account. And it just seems to me that this, for investing in Mexico, getting the currency right is as big of a deal as getting some of the politics right. And, and that's why you see the central bank keeping interest rates as high as they are. And don't forget, they have the other thing that helps the currency, which is when you have the nearshoring, every single time uh, some company, whether it's from the United States or anywhere else in the world, goes to build something in Mexico, they have to buy the peso, right? Yep. So you have a natu- natural support of the currency. The other thing um, that's important, and we can criticize AMLO for a lot of things, but you know he hasn't gone full Erdogan on the central bank. He's allowed the central bank to be very, very orthodox, uh, which has happened yep. a lot in, in Latin America because they're very fearful of inflation because they've lived no, they've with it and how it, bad and it. They've worked through it. You mentioned volatility. The one thing I would say, we can be very negative, but uh, I know many, many people who have made a very good living trading the volatility that comes out of Latin America, whether it's their bonds, their yep. sovereign debt, you know, because there's so much volatility. This is a trading show, right? You can really trade these markets in a way where there isn't a lot of volatility in other markets sometimes. So is there thinking that when he leaves office and one of these two women are elected, that there will be fewer interventionist sort of actions that I, take place? Or? I think one, it depends on who wins. If his acolyte wins, I think she's going to follow very similar policies. He's interventionist on something very particular, which is infrastructure. He wants a a new refinery that's cost way too much money and was unnecessary, right? He wants to create this rail line between the Pacific Coast and the the East Coast. Um, So these big, big projects that aren't well run, go over budget, et cetera, not clear if she would continue those. All right, Michelle, great to see you. Thank you for coming. Always a pleasure. Michelle Caruso Cabrera. You've been trading this? Yeah, definitely love Mexico as a market, but I agree there are are spots. There was a a period two months ago where Latin America looked 
unbelievably interesting. Brazil was starting to cut rates. And again, in a lot of the local markets, because rates are so high locally, when they start to cut rates, you start to see a lot of the local insurance and pensions get into the equity market. And it's a, and it's a major follow through that you see. But names like Coke, FEMSA, uh, Walmex, uh, American Mobile, these are big blue chip companies that are in the EWW and, and they are worth owning at, at this time. You know, when you look at the chart, the, the EWW is still up over 10 percent year to date, even though it's had a collapse recently. But Michelle, who has a background in both journalism and politics, the, the right wing of the party here has been super aggressive against the Mexican government as to what Michelle said, rule of law. So you're going to have to absorb a lot of grenades that come on the tape side of this because they're thinking that the Mexican government is not really establishing rule of law in their own country. All right. Coming up, it's a Friday edition of Trade It or Fade It. We're digging into the staples <laughs> trade. Are these stocks fresh or foul? foul. <laughs> Find out next, and CNBC is celebrating Hispanic heritage. Here's City's head of investments for Latin America. My Dominican roots have really shaped the person who I am today and have allowed me to bring the best of me and my culture to work. Being Latino can be your superpower. I believe it generates a diversity of thought and inclusion. My advice for Latinos is really to bring your full self to work, to allow yourself to not forget your raices, your roots, and actually maintain your sense of belonging to your community. Welcome back to Fast Money Consumer Staples, the only negative sector in the S&P today. And over the last three months, they are down more than 10%. One thing weighing on them, mm. pun intended, mm. the surging popularity of weight loss drugs. Bank of America out with a note today saying the food and beverage sector could see as much as a 3% hit to demand as people reduce their caloric intake. So with the Staples in turmoil, we thought we'd play America's favorite game. It really is. Trade it or fade it. I thought it was a different name. That's just hold your horses. Okay. Trade it or fade it. But we, we will go. do it with a wrinkle today. So we're going to ask the traders, are these stocks fresh? Oh. Mm. <laughs> or foul. <laughs> oh, I know he's making those sound effects and they are cute. Uh, the, the traders are spoiling for fight. Oh. Um, so let's kick it off with Coca-Cola. Tim Seymour, fresh or foul? I didn't think a can of Coke opened or closed could ever go bad. And in fact, probably you could dip uh, anyway, things Easy. in it and they would never go bad. Um, that's fresh. Um, it's fresh. It's not fresh right now. I actually think Coke can go a little bit lower. Yeah, yeah. But but I do think Coke is overdone. The, the whole carbonated soft drink dilemma and some of the demographics around who actually drinks Coke, I think we've digested that kind of news a long time ago. Coke is diverse across vitamin water and diverse. I just think these stocks have run too far. Yeah. I mean, people still have to hydrate, Guy. They may not hydrate with the full sugar Coke. They might choose water or Diet Coke. Always choose water, Melms, ahead of uh, carbonated sugary drinks. But I'm with Tim quickly on this one. I think, listen, I think Coke is one of those brands. The sell-off is enough where this is when you <laughs> dip your toe into it. The sound effects are good, right? They are. Uh, They're really good. Yeah, we're going to. It's actually better than the content, which is troubling. Those girls are. <laughs> 
top notch. <laughs> Don't be mean to Tim. Let's do Brian <laughs> Foreman. Grasso, let's see if your content's good. Fresh or Thank foul? You. Oh, no, I'd rather. Wait, let's hear. It's going to be fresh. I mean, it's slow on the, on the background. It, you know, if you think about it, they're going into a seasonally probably tailwind area for alcohol going into the holidays. And Ozempic, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think it restricts your alcohol content. It does. Right? Wait, it does that too? It suppresses everything. Oh, that's All a problem. Then. Can I change? I'm just kidding. So I think we're going seasonally into the into a sweet spot for them. Also, they just instituted another buyback. They voted on it on Monday. It's going to last for about a year. You don't buy a stock because of the buyback, but you do like having that support of the company buying back their stock. Yeah. Tim, what do you think? You're a bar owner, so you know the seasonal tailwind kind of stuff when it comes to drinking. I, Look, Constellation Brands is a, is a company I've owned a, significantly, uh, owned it a lot over the years. Um, I don't own it now. I actually think that some of the margins, and there are still concerns here uh, in the spirit space. I, I, these are some great companies that have been through a lot. Diageo is another one. I think you're going to get them lower. I'd, I'd be foul. I'd be foul if Ooh. I was playing foul. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Ew. 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 Um, the next stock here is Kraft Heinz. Mr. Dan Nathan, what do you say? Yeah, I think to Tim's point, I mean, when, when you have stocks, you have a sector in a free fall like this, and you can't put your finger on exactly the whole host of things, whether it's the dollar, whether it's the Ozempic effect, whether it's just, you know, uh, rates and this and that, whatever. I, I mean, like this, I don't know why you have to step in. I think it really comes down to, so, so again, it's foul right here. I wouldn't be selling this. If you own this stock or any of these stocks that we're talking about right now, they've just dropped 30% in a straight line in, you know, a month or two or something like that. And now they actually trade it reasonable valuations relative to their history. Um, so, you know, again, I, I think there's going to be opportunities. I think you would just look at the XLP at some point in the not-so-distant future, the ETF that tracks the sector. But, again, I think they're going to make lower lows. Steve, what do you think? Uh, this is going to be foul for me as well. This has been a declining trend line since January. There's no reason to step in front of it right now. It's down 21% year-to-date. Margins are probably collapsing as inflation recedes. All right. And, Guy, this one's for you. Hershey. Mm. Oh, that's it? You're just going to say it? You're not, I'm, I'm going to play the game correctly and say foul. Absolutely Ew. foul. I mean, I think <laughs> the parks are fun, but I'll tell you something. The product mix, nobody wants salty snacks. I'm just telling you. And go back and listen to their conference call in July. It ain't working out all that well. And there's, although the stock has gotten lambasted, there's still some room on the downside. When this stock gets to 17 times earnings, give me a call. I think it's currently trading at around 21. So harsh considering our candy bag is often filled with product from Great Hershey. Point. Well, yeah. no. I, well, hold on a second, Mel. I mean, wait a second. Let's just oh. be fair to the folks at Harry Boat who sent us a 20-pound box with a handwritten note. That's where our allegiance. I mean, what's no, the I last thing Hershey did for us? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's hardcore. Um, so I, I'm going to jump in, and I'm not going to defend Hershey. I'm going to go foul. I am going to say, but those, those aren't salty snacks. Those are sweet snacks. One of the best days of my life was taking my kid to Hershey Park. I'm going to say that. But I think the multiple is That's exactly sad. what he's That's talking sad, about. That's sad, Tim. That's sad. Why? What's sad about it? One of the best days of your life? Taking yeah. It's the Hershey Park. Amazing? It was Man, a father, are you with me on this? I don't, I, in 2012, I took my kids to Hershey Park. It was the best day of your life? It was a great day. It was the first, great day. The first day I ever took an Instagram photo, actually. Oh, wow. In two, June 2012 on the gram. Any, any, anyway, um, a father and a son hanging out you'd think would be considered a good time. That's it wasn't sweet. my case. That's sweet. Uh, 17 times is probably where it belongs. You guys are right. Coming up, it's back. Earnings season just around the corner, and option traders seem to be betting big against one bank. The name and the trade. More fast money into. 
Welcome back to Fast Money. We are closing in on big bank earnings season fast, and options traders are positioning themselves for some blockbuster moves ahead. Bank of America is front and center. The stock is down a whopping 21% this year, and the options market is betting that an even bigger loss is coming their way. Mike Coe is here to break it all down. Mike, what do you see? Yeah, interestingly, not one of the ones that's going to be reporting next week, like J.P. Morgan City and Wells. This is the one that saw the most bearish activity, though. Three times its average daily put volume, and that the result of a lot of activity in the June 15 puts, June of next year. We saw 130,000 of those trading overall. That included some big blocks, including a purchase of 73,000 contracts for just over 25 cents a contract. Buyer of those puts is probably hedging against a big move lower. Yeah, Dan, you've been commenting about how lousy Bank of America has been. Yeah, and it's interesting when you when Mike highlights something like that. And, and again, Mike, Mike knows this very well. You know, the options market right now is saying there's about a 5% probability that those puts are in the money, right? So when you think about how somebody might be positioned, it's really kind of interesting to think, you know, that, that someone might be playing for 15. They're not that likely far playing for future, 15. Though. No, I, I know. It's a long way to go. Yeah, yeah. But to think about the stocks at 26 bucks or something like that. I mean, it's just not likely to, you know. Mike, thanks. Mike Coe. Up next, final trade. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Guy Dami. In the words of James Taylor, Mexico, I've never really been, but I'd sure like to go EWW. <laughs> Tim. Uh, guy, you got a friend. I'll tell you that. Uh, EWZ, I think, is your friend as well. I think Brazil, if, if Mexico works, Brazil's probably going to work even more. Some of these LATAM trends, I think the currency is actually going to strengthen. So international tonight. That's what we uh, do. Steve. West Rock, WRK. I think it goes much higher. I love the Smurfit Kappa deal. Dan? Uh, yeah, Carter had a call on the dollar. UUP thinks it's coming in. I think he'd be short of the UUP. All right. What a week it's been. Thanks for watching Fast Money. Don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Craver starts right now. All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer.